Welcome to the very first episode of Shark Week, the podcast. I'm Luke Tipple, marine biologist and a frequent voice on my favorite things, oceans and sharks. I'm stoked to bring the magic of Shark Week right to your ears. Sharks have been a big part of my life for over 20 years now, studying them and diving with them all around the world. I guess that's given me some of the street cred to participate in many Shark Week documentaries throughout the years and now to be your host. So whether you've never seen Shark Week before or you've been a diehard fan over the 30 plus years it's been around, this podcast is for you. And of course, if we're going to do a podcast about sharks, we have to learn about where they came from. Let's dive into the evolution of sharks. So my fascination with shark evolution and biology really kind of started with looking at sharks and their scar patterns. Now, when you see an adult female shark, it's not uncommon to see really gnarly scars all over her. You'll see scars on the gills, you'll see scars on the fins, scars all along the side, bite marks, oh, it's just horrible stuff. And when you look at her, you're wondering, how did that even happen? And, you know, the brutal reality is she probably just got laid. <laughs> Sharks have a very interesting way of perpetuating their species. So before we get into, you know, the sexy stuff, let's get into the where did they come from stuff because their evolution is just absolutely fascinating. Sharks have been around for hundreds of millions of years. And if you want a little fact to be able to bring up at the bar because that's what this is all about, right? Sharks have been around for longer than trees existed. Let that sink in just a little bit. Since they've been around for so long, We've seen a massive evolution, and we can only guess at some of the links that have happened along the way. But we do know that at the end of 2021, there are about 512 recognized species of sharks alive. And there's about another 23 or 25 that are actually pending approval. Now, that means that scientists have found individuals, and they're trying to classify them and figure out if it actually is worthy of being a new species or not. But that's an incredibly diverse group of animals. Everything from tiny, tiny little dwarf sharks to massive whale sharks, right? And these animals exist in every type of ocean-connected water system on the planet, from super, super deep water to very shallow specialists. Sharks cover every single part of the Earth's ocean-connected system that there is. And I think that that's absolutely amazing to have an animal that is that successful. And you have to think that it's gotten there through a long process of evolution. But to do all that, we come back to my first fascination with the breeding scars, these brutal scars that I've seen many times, sometimes still freshly bleeding. Now, it's a fascinating fact that sharks are able to heal up very quickly but still, the damage is quite devastating sometimes. Not enough to kill them, but enough to hang on. So how does that actually happen? Well, let's break it down to the basics. So the males of the species have claspers. These look like two little cigars, I guess, underneath their private parts. And those claspers, they have two so that they can reach to either side of the female. Females have a cloaca. Claspers go in the cloaca. They inject their genetic material and procreation takes place. And from then on, we have babies and, and you know the rest on that. But the mating process is actually really interesting. So the male to actually get into position for the female has to hold on to something. You know, they don't have hands. They don't have that 
advantage. So just like your puppy might go up and grab something with its mouth just to hang on to it and give it a little shake like a bone, well, that's what the male sharks are doing. So the male sharks are going up, they're grabbing onto the fins or the side or the gills even sometimes of the female shark. They twist their body around, kind of like a corkscrew, and whichever clasper is closest to their cloaca will deposit their genetic material into the female. This is a process that's been witnessed in several species, but not all. So we could definitely find out different ways of sharks breeding, but it's pretty safe to say that most, if not all, sharks are deploying some method of this kind of twisting around, biting, hanging on breeding. We're very lucky enough to see just a few species, but, you know, I'd love to see two whale sharks getting it on. Wouldn't that be incredible? Just two massive animals, you know, 40 to 60 feet long, wrapped around each other, splashing in the water. I, I, it's actually kind of hard to believe that no one's seen that yet, but definitely on my wish list, I want to see hammerheads doing it. Like hammerheads with those great big heads and stuff. Like it just looks so weird. Just gonna let you guys think about sharks getting it on for a sec there. Now, one of the things that is a bit of a strike against sharks is that it takes them a long time to get to this stage where they actually can reach sexual maturity and they can, you know, find their special someone out there. For some sharks, it can be like 30 years old before they're able to mate. For some sharks, it's 10 years plus. But they're, they're what we call a K-selected species. So they have slow growth, they're late to maturity, they have long gestation periods, they're pregnant for a long time or their eggs have to develop for a very long time. And they generally produce a very small litter of high-quality pups. And those pups are ready to go. There's no parental taking care of them. There's no parents suckling. There's no milk. There's, there's none of that. The sharks are born. They look at their parents. They go, peace, thanks for that. And then they take off and to go do their thing. In fact, they have to sometimes because it's theorized at least and at least witnessed in some cases where the mother might turn around and eat the pup. We'll get into some of the methods deployed for survival later on, but it's important to note that sharks really need to be protected throughout their life cycle because they may take a very long time before they can reproduce. So we're looking at animals which take a very long time to fulfill their job to society, to add back, to reproduce, to procreate. It takes them so long. So they're very, very vulnerable to exploitation. And that's kind of the take home on this for us humans. It's very easy for us to overexploit a species and them not have enough chance to reproduce. One of the things I do find very interesting about sharks is how they actually develop their embryos and their young. There's a few different things that you can remember here. One is viviparous, oviparous, and ovoviviparous. Those are three words, you know, key high-value words that you might want to hang on to. So viviparous, they produce live young. They're just like us. Ovipary is when they lay eggs. This is about 40% of sharks. So they're laying eggs. And I remember being a kid and walking along and looking down at my feet in the ocean. And in the seaweed was this sort of brown, curly, almost corkscrew-looking thing. And I remember picking it up and holding it and asking my dad what it was. And he said, oh, that's a mermaid's purse. And I said, well, dad, mermaids aren't real. He said, no, that's a mermaid's purse. That is a shark egg. And I held it up to the sunlight and lo and behold, there's an embryo in there, you know, developing. And eventually that embryo would hatch out. I didn't get to see it, but I know it would because I put it back. It'd hatch out and go on its way and do its thing. One of the really fascinating things about 
oviparous sharks is that there's pretty good evidence to show that the female sharks will lay their eggs, they'll then turn around, they'll pick them up, and then they'll go and place them somewhere where they can be safe. And one of the coolest ways to do this is some of these eggs have like a corkscrew thing around them and it's actually been seen that a shark will take it and they'll corkscrew and screw it into an area like beneath rocks or into weed. And I just think that that's, you know, mothering at its finest, as far as sharks go anyway, because there's not a lot of real mothering going on. But as far as sharks go, that's pretty good. Now, ovovivipary is kind of a combination of vivipary and ovipary. This is where the embryos will develop inside eggs, then they hatch inside the mother's body and they'll be ready to be born. They'll still take a while before they're born, but they've come from an egg, they're born live into the womb, and as they're going down the canal, they can actually feed on other developed or undeveloped embryos and eggs. They can even eat all their brothers and sisters that might be in there as well. That's what we call interuterine cannibalism. And it's a strategy that's been deployed by quite a few species. So if you imagine you're giving birth to only four or five or six pups, now the strongest one, the first one to be born, you know, to hatch out of that egg, it's going to eat all the other ones and you get to give birth to one super young pup. And off it goes, and it's super strong and powerful because it ate all of its siblings. Pretty gnarly, but that's how nature works. If you're not into all that sort of really kind of brutal stuff, there is one other way that sharks can give birth. And this has been witnessed a few times now. This is parthenogenesis, and that means virgin birth in Greek. This is where an embryo can develop without any fertilization by sperm whatsoever. Now, it's known that female sharks can take on the sperm from males, from several different males, they can actually uniquely select which sperm will fertilize which egg. They can have pups in the same litter by multiple fathers, and they can hang on to that sperm for quite some time, maybe even up to years before they actually use it. So it was first thought that these sharks, which were witnessed in a, uh, in a shark tank, it was thought that they were just using old sperm, for example. But then these pups were uniquely DNA tested and it was shown that they were literally a clone of the mother, of the female. So men, turns out that we might not be that necessary at all. So once they've actually done the nasty, they've done their thing, fertilization has occurred. As we've talked about, sharks are a case-selected species. The gestation can be really long, like way longer than humans, for example. Anything from nine months to two years. Some species, such as the frilled shark, they're thought to have a gestation period as long as three and a half years, which is insane. But it just goes to show that these animals are putting huge amounts of energy and time and nutrients and investment, and I'd love to say emotional attachment, but sharks don't have emotions. So, you know, they're, they're giving all of that to this one pup or it's just a few little pups, and then they're birthing them and they're free to go. They're kind of like when you see a giraffe getting born and, you know, it can start walking around on its own. If you just want a sort of generality of it, though, sharks have a sort of average gestation of somewhere between 9 and 12 months, so a little bit longer than humans, but some of those outlier species have just almost unbearably long gestation times. Now, if you're a shark that has to wait for quite a long time before it gets to mate and really fulfill its job to its entire species, 
you'd hope that you got to do it more than once, right? So if you've waited 10 years to get it on, then hopefully you'd be able to do that, you know, every few years until you die, until you've fulfilled your job and, you know, had a good old time. So it's good to know that a lot of sharks have a pretty long lifespan. Most of them, it's fair to say that on average, sharks will live somewhere between 20 and 30 years in the wild. Now, this is kind of a combination of what we've seen in the wild as well as what we know from uh, fish tanks. The ones who are in tanks, by the way, have a much shorter lifespan. It's not uncommon for sharks to live only like nine or 10 years in a fish tank, whereas in the wild, they could have maybe lived to 25 as always, with such a huge number of species, we have our outliers. So, for example, the spiny dogfish, it has one of the longest lifespans on Earth with more than 100 years, which is amazing. And the blue shark, for example, is a much, much bigger shark than the spiny dogfish. In the wild, we think its average life expectancy is about 15 or 16 years. If we look at the entire other side of the size spectrum, whale sharks, which is one of my favourite sharks, they're thought to live for about 100 years. White sharks, 40 to 70 years. And this is a new thing. We used to think that they live for about 25 to 30 years, but it's recently been shown, you know, recently in science means sometime in the last 10 years or so. It's recently been shown that we think they live for about 40 to 70 years. And this is from like DNA testing and uh, sampling of their bodies. Now, one of the ways that we can tell how long sharks live, and this is pretty fascinating, is we can read them like a tree trunk. As sharks age, their cartilage gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it kind of grows like a tree trunk. So you can literally look at one of their vertebrae, cut open their vertebrae, and don't do this to a live shark. It would really not enjoy it. But if you had a specimen procured without killing it, of course, you know, perhaps it, he died of old age and, you know, had a good long life and he's got, you know, 20-some kids running around the place. And finally, he's like, okay, I'll donate my body to science. Cut him up and you'll be able to read his age to within a pretty good degree of accuracy from the rings within his vertebrae. Now, this isn't true for all species. It's kind of a generality, but it is true for many species, and that's given us a good idea about their age. Some species, like the Greenland shark, for example, which lives an incredibly long life, perhaps the longest life of all of the sharks, it can be up to, you know, our best guess is about... 392 years. And I know that that's, you know, the best guess is a perfectly accurate 392.272 years or something, but the, the actual range of estimate is somewhere from 272 to 512 years. So that's, I think someone has just kind of split it down the middle and go, that'll be good enough. So with this massive group of sharks, it's fairly safe to say the success of sharks and their evolutionary history has been because they're specialists because they're able to get into all different parts of the water column, they're able to get into different oceans, different salinity levels, they're even able to get into the river systems. So they've had ample opportunity to evolve, turn into specialists, and become unique species within a very, very diverse group of animals. And we know this because about 450 million years ago, during the Ordovician period, there were a few scales that got lost from a shark and fossilized. 
These have become part of the fossil record. Scientists have found them and we figure that that is kind of the origin or at least the furthest back that we can track the actual sharks that we recognise today or the ancestors of them anyway. This is what we call the cartilaginous fish and it's, it's kind of important to note that there was a divergence that went on. We have sharks as we know them now and their ancestors but there's also another interesting group of cartilaginous fish and these are the chimeras. Now, sharks, rays, skates, all of those, they're all in the elasmobranchs and they are one sort of group. The chimeras split off from that group about 420 million years ago. Chimeras still exist today. They're still around. Imagine if a fish looked like an elephant, maybe an elephant crossed with a long-eared chihuahua. That's basically what a chimera looks like. And they're super deep water. You'd be really lucky if you ever see one. I've never seen one personally, but it's on my bucket list. But the earliest shark teeth that we know about was about 420 million years ago. So these really ancient sharks, honestly, they didn't look like sharks that much at all. They're part of the evolution because we understand modern day sharks to have come from them, but they kind of looked a little bit more like eels than sharks. The first sharks that we'd recognize as sharks today was about 380 million years ago. And they'd go through several periods of evolutions and die-offs, but the ones that we really start focusing on are the ancient sharks that are still around today. And this would be the six-gill shark. Now, if you've seen these guys, wow, this is a weird-looking shark. And they look like if a dinosaur was a shark. They're kind of blunted head and their eyes are all milky and they just look like big, slow-moving animals that maybe should have evolved more but have just not because they're stuck way down deep in the cold. Absolutely incredible animals. But this is about 195 million years ago. And then we're not going to get into like every little stage of, you know, 500 species today and how they all came to be about. But let's jump to what the youngest sharks are, which I don't know if anyone would guess it, but it's actually the hammerhead shark. Hammerheads are kind of the youngest shark to have evolved. And that's a about 23 million years ago or so. And those have a very interesting history in that they've taken a divergence where their morphology has significantly changed from all of the other sharks. So we've got this fairly old group of sharks that look like six-gill sharks and then on. Then we've got sort of more modern-day sharks and we're up to our hammerheads. And you know what? They're still evolving. Here's another bar fact for you. The leopard epaulette shark can walk. Think about that. What happens when all the sharks start walking, right? <laughs> That'll keep you up at night. Now, the, the leopard epaulette shark is a really cute little shark. It's nothing that's going to hurt anybody unless it, like, bit down on your finger. But it uses its front fins to walk around as locomotion. All right. Well, that wraps it up for the very first episode of the Shark Week podcast. Hope you learned something. Stay tuned to this feed for shark facts you don't want to miss and interviews with shark experts that will give us a behind-the-scenes scoop on what really happened out at sea. And it, it, a lot happens in a month out at sea. And yes, we're keeping the shark passion alive after Shark Week is over, covering the sharkiest current topics, talking to top scientists and experts to learn all about the latest conservation efforts in keeping this amazing animal from extinction. Thanks for listening to Shark Week, the podcast. Be sure to rate us five stars and subscribe for more shark fun facts. I'm Luke Tibble. I'll see you next time.